Get ready, golf lovers. The boys are teed up and ready to go. Backspin with Larry Canning and Steve Anderson. Thanks to Inside Golf. Welcome once again to Backspin. Thanks to Inside Golf. My name is Steve Anderson. With me is this bloke over here, Larry Canning. Points to his left. Hello, Larry. Hello, Steve. Hello, listeners. How are you, mate? I'm very fine, Steve. Gee, you've been... I know that, but you've been very busy, too. You've been out on the golf course a lot uh, in your role at Macquarie Sport Radio. You're good mates at Macquarie Sport Radio. Um, I love Macquarie Sport Radio, Steve. I know you do. Now that you know the name of the station, you <laughs> yeah, love it. I got that wrong last show, didn't I? But yeah. seriously, they did a great job with covering golf over the Australian summer, as did you. Um, bit of a wrap-up. We might do that today. Yep, we'll get to it in a minute. For yeah, sure. Because there were some, some really good stories to oh, come out. Oh, a lot of yarns. A lot yeah, of great stories. Okay, we'll do that very soon. Roger Davis is going to join us. We've had the Dodge on before, but he's coming back because these days, Roger's time is taken up with the presidency of the PGA, isn't it? They call it the chairman, Steve, yeah. Oh, the chairman, Australian sorry. Australian chairman, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Of the Australian PGA, yes. He has, he has uh, chaired the players' side of the PGA a number of years ago, but now he's the big boss. He's the guy that... Uh, that uh, does uh, looks after all the professionals and the game, professional game in general in Australia, Steve. Pretty popular move, do you think? Oh, magnificent move. Yeah. Fantastic. And Ian Baker Finch, he's offsider, also on the board. Uh, what Great team. And, uh, you know, golf, I don't think golf's been in a much a better place for for uh, for quite a few years. And uh, Roger's at, and, and with Roger and Ian at the helm, Stephen, steering the ship. It's wearing great shape. So what's Finchie, vice chairman, is he? Or I, I, I'm not sure he's actually I've just I got to get the, the terminology board. right. I, you know, you, you've corrected me once. I don't want to get it wrong again. He's the handsome. He, well, <laughs> Roger's not ugly either, just quietly, but Ian Baker. My wife loves Ian Baker Finch. A couple of good-looking roosters at the top of the Absolutely. PGA. Absolutely. Sounds good. We're also going to talk with John Dyer. Now, John's an interesting bloke. He's from a company called Air Adventure Australia, and they do a thing called the Ultimate Tasmanian Golf Tour. How good does this sound? Oh, how yeah, you're dead right. And what a f- fantastic yarn. What a great Aussie company this is, Steve, and, and, the, and the origins of it. Brilliant. Yeah, the company started by John. John's the managing director, but the company Air Adventure Australia was started by his dad, Rod Dyer, quite some time ago, and uh, it, it is a fa- fascinating. I'd never heard any of this. It's, no, it's fantastic. It when you, you hear these stories about Aussie initiatives and Aussie enterprise mm. that, that grow into fantastic things, but then get carried on by... Uh, you know, family members into the future and create great things like the Ultimate Tasmanian Golf Tour, which uh, takes you to some of the great courses. Some of the great courses we've never been to, but we hope to go to. <laughs> yeah, we hate saying it, don't we? Well, you know, we no, bum, not bum really. We've never been there, and it is. Well, that's embarrassing. But surely someone out there help us, help Stevie and I. Yeah, we're just two little blokes in the country trying to do our best, Steve, for the game of golf. Maybe we should try and crowdfund it. Yeah, let's go with that. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't think so. No, no, I no, hate no, it when people stupid, yeah. do crowdfunding things yeah, to just, buy themselves a new TV and that sort of stuff. Exactly, yeah, anyway, I hate no, that. Yeah. I'm not a fan of that, no, but no. I am a fan of going to play Barn Boogle one day. Um, you're going to review. Wilson staff have got a new range out. It is literally brand new, this range, isn't it? Oh, I'm excited about this one, Steve, because that was the first sponsor I ever had as a professional golfer. I was a trainee golf professional, in fact. I hadn't even finished my apprenticeship. And Wilson looked after me way back then, and uh, I've been looking forward to to reviewing one of their products um, ever since. And here we go. I'm about to do the Wilson Staff D7 range of clubs, driver, irons, hybrids, fairways, the whole lot. Were they the ones who gave you the white visor you used to wear? Uh, did, yeah, absolutely. Wilson by Hanamex. Hanamex used to bring them in back uh, then. Is that right? Yeah. 
Wow. It's bizarre, isn't it? I had a, I had a beautiful white golf bag with red writing, my name all over it. Yeah. I thought I was bloody good. And lots of video cassettes as well. And from Hanamex? Did they give you throw in video cassettes? <laughs> no. <laughs> no? No. Just the clubs? Just the clubs. Anyhow, uh, Wilson Staff, um, D7 range. It's out, and you're going to talk some more about that. You've got a tip about rule. There are some new rules floating around the world of golf, and uh, you've got a tip on that one, haven't you? Yes. Uh, listeners, golfers, learn them. Learn your, your rules. You can take advantage of them. Pretty well, all the new rules that have been brought in have made the game a little bit easier, but you need to know how to use them. And that's my tip of the week, Stevie. Because Use people, them, manipulate them, massage them. People massage don't know all the rules, rules, do they? I, I well, don't know whether they're in any sport. I played water polo for uh, close enough to 20 years. And how many I, rules in that? Well, there's plenty of rules. Just I didn't, I didn't the, know most of them. Don't grab someone yeah. by the wrong things. Yeah, you just hold your hands up and go, what? What do they do? What goes on under the water? Though? There's always stories about what about that. Is that true? Anyhow, the rules of the game are important. <laughs> no, it's not true. Sometimes. <laughs> what goes on tour stays on tour. Okay. That's all I'll say there. Under, under the pool stays under the your, pool. your spit uh, is also involving rules because there's a rule that you've called the canning rule oh, that you've been yes. lobbying for, for for introduction into golf for many years and it's never happened. Reintroduction. Okay. Yeah, it was banned. That's all I'll say. Stay and, tuned. And, the, and of all the rules they changed, they still haven't got this one, Steve. You know, all, it makes all, me angry. All coming up in Backspin, thanks to Inside Golf in this episode. Let's go back to the Australian summer of golf because, gee, it was a good one. It's not long enough, is it? No, no. And... Um, that could be changing, Steve. There is word. And uh, Roger Davis will be able to explain a bit more about that. But, yeah, no, only four weeks of uh, New South Wales Open, Australian Open, the World Cup and the Australian PGA, the four major events of the year. Um, and it was fantastic watching it. And just, again, we saw these young guys that not many people, not household names possibly, um, just playing great golf and competing against some of the best players in the world and beating them. We see it every year. Cameron Davis did it last year with the Australian Open. This year we had Demi Papadatis. God, I love saying that name. I can't say that name enough. And Jake McLeod putting their hands up and not shy, not not backing down when they were drawn with some of the best players in the world. Brilliant to watch it. I loved every second of it. I love watching Jake McLeod uh, play. We spoke, it was the last episode we spoke. was the last episode we spoke with yep, Jake. We did. And uh, just watching the way he plays, you know, he just goes hard, doesn't he? He goes hard at it, yeah. yeah. It does not back off. And be- when we were talking to him last time on the show, Steve, where he was leading the Australasian Order of Merit um, and the winner of that gets a 12 months, get, gets to play the European Tour, full exe- fully exempt on European Tour for a year. Um, since then, we know that he has won that Australasian Order of Merit and he's now off to Europe in uh, very soon, any, any day. Yeah, which is huge for him. Oh, it's a career-changing uh, moment, yeah. He's good enough, mate. He's good enough to win over there. Yeah. Cameron Smith, we should also talk about Cameron Smith as well. That bloke's as cool as a cucumber, isn't he? Unbelievable, yeah. Mm. Started off his, his, his Aussie summer quite badly, really, didn't he, in the Australian Open? He finished up having a nice last round and getting back in the mix yep. a bit. But then next week, Australian PGA, bang. Oh, mm. of course, of the World Cup, of course, they ran second in that. Then the Australian PGA back straight in the, on the on the on the seat on the horse riding at home to victory again. Wow, great player! What a talent, and he is cool. He is very cool. Great short game, Steve. This kid can chip his ball better than nearly anyone I've ever seen. Gee, he's a beautiful short game. As I said, you were at all these events. Was there a highlight for you in any one of them? Like, uh, not not in each one, but but pick out a highlight from all of the the various events. Oh wow, mate. Um, oh. Got you there? It's too many. Too many. Too many. I love Jake McLeod's story. I love Dimmy coming second. I love Cam Smith defending. Dimmy, Dimmy who? Uh, Dimmy, Demetrius Papadatos. Right. 
Um, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Some sort of Greek accent I needed with that, don't I? Yeah. His father, Spiros Papadatis, a wrestler, professional wrestler. Is that right? Correct. Um, yeah. Are you okay with that? Yeah. Can I leave you with that and move with on that. to my next point? There's the, a the long line of Greek uh, wrestlers. Spiros? Spiros Arion? Spiros Arion. Oh, that, oh, that was World Championship yeah, Wrestling. Yeah, World Championship no, Wrestling. No, he was actually a proper professional. Oh, Spiros. okay, right. He sorry. was the real one. <laughs> he wasn't like the killer Kowalski. Mario Bru- Bru- Bernard, Mario Milano. Larry O'Day. He was yeah. my favourite, of course. Uh, where were we, Steve? Uh, we were talking about your highlight, highlight. from the, the uh, Australian tour this year, and you didn't have one in particular. You got lots of them. I got too many. Maddie yeah, okay. Miller um, coming third in the Australian PGA after barely making the cut. Yeah, he came from and nowhere. And that golf course doesn't suit him because he's not one of the longer hitters. Mm. That's a long golf course, Royal Pines. Mm. And 67-68, I believe, on the weekend in windy, bad conditions was unbelievable. Um Gee, yeah, and I can keep going. Cameron Smith obviously winning. Mark Leishman played beautifully at both. Um, geez, he, he, I didn't, I knew he could play beautifully, but I, watching him around the World Cup on the practice fairway, it was flawless ball striking. Wow, what a player he is. He's going to win a major, Steve. And just on that World Cup, good event, good event for Australia. Great event, yeah, yeah fantastic event. Looked and like the, it was pretty well run. Well, I mean, we spoke with our friend, uh, our dear friend, Robin Cooper. Yeah, who Dave, was the and Dave Colbert was. Uh, yeah, he was. He, that, I, I met Dave down there. Yeah, um, ran a very tight ship, very beautifully run event, and yeah. um, the weather was terrible, but they. That just added drama, really. It just made it more exciting, and the, the spectators all got wet. <laughs> they sold a few, um, what are those things, that you, the poncho things? Is it a poncho? A poncho. Poncho. Yeah, there's an O uh, rather than a, a U. What's a poncho? Poncho That's what is, you and I have during the- Yeah, during, when we were kids. When we, we finish it. When we finish the show. Yeah, in the pub when we have- Poncho and Judy show. Poncho. Um- all right, very good. Thank you, mate. Yes, I can. Anything I'll, else? I'll, I'll, I'll definitely through the course of the show, I'll think of another highlight. Yeah, you do that. You have a good hard think about it. <laughs> right. We'll uh, we'll be back soon with some more of Backspin. Thanks to Inside Golf, the Backspin interview. Thanks to Inside Golf. Well, we've spoken with this fellow before on Backspin, and it's a very great pleasure to welcome him back. We haven't spoken with him before, Larry, in the capacity he's in these days, have we? Chairman of the Australian PGA, Stephen, now, yes. We, we speak- spoke to him as a former super player yeah. and still currently a very good player. But We speak, yeah. of course, of Roger Davis. Roger, welcome to Backspin once again. Yeah, it's good to be here, Steve. Oh, and me. <laughs> Steve. Don't Thank- worry, Laz. I never leave you out. <laughs> Thank you, Roger. Mate, like we were just saying in the intro there, yeah, we spoke to you a while ago about your experiences on the tour and uh, playing in Europe, playing America, and the Australian Open victories and stuff. We now are speaking to the chairman of the Australian PGA. We're a little in awe, well, I certainly am as being a PGA member of that position because I know the people like Peter Thompson who have had that position in the past. So how do you feel about holding that position, Roger? Pretty good, actually. I'd have to say that when Julie, my partner, got crooked with bowel cancer, it was the furthest thing from my mind, and I'd have to say that uh, it was Julie that, at the end of the day, really talked me into it. She said, you know, you're backing off with your golf. You're not the type of person who can't do nothing. You can't sit around and watch TV all day. She said, why don't you take it on? You know, at least get on the board. And, of course, I got on the board in, in the April, and when the chairman had to be sort of uh, voted on in uh, July, I got the nod. And so... Yeah, you know, I was over the moon, and I must admit, there's a lot of work involved, but uh, I'm I'm really enjoying it. It's a real challenge, and so- golf at the moment, as you guys know, is a challenge. You know, it doesn't matter if it's the amateur level or the uh, professional level. It's, it's it's hard work out there. 
you know, because we're such a small country. So onto the board in April, chairman in, uh, what did you say, July, it doesn't give you much thinking time in between being a board member and becoming chairman. Did you need that time or did you sort of have ideas when you got onto the board? Did you have some ideas about what you'd like to achieve being part of the organisation at that level? Well, I, I'm sort of lucky in a couple of ways. I've known Pete Senior, Mark Gibson, Jeff Scott and, of course, Peter O'Malley very well over the years. I just started ringing them when I got the job just to find out, you know, what it was like when they were in the job. Also, I've always been a bit of a person, as Larry knows, that I sort of listen a lot and sort of I'll run back into my cave and think about it. And then once I've made my mind up, I come out of the cave and I start spruiking. And I've found in this job where, you know, governances you've got to look at and, mm. you know, all these different types of things, being politically correct, you know, it's, it's quite difficult to make a decision straight away. You've got to sort of really go back and think about it. I'm actually enjoying that side of it. You know, at the moment, since I've taken over, we're sort of locked into quite a few tournament dates and so on and so forth. So a lot of that we haven't changed much. But the last two days, for instance, I had a teleconference call for about four hours yesterday with all the TPC boys. And then today it was the TPC boys and the, and the tournament coordinators of all the states. And, you know, those two meetings, you know, you, you just get into these teleconferences and you just say what, you know, involve them, you know, which you've got to because they're out in the field all the time. And tell me the changes you want. And uh, those two teleconferences have been uh, very, very good, very productive. Was there a common thread, Roger, in, in those teleconferences? Oh, no, we, we talked about a lot of different subjects, you know, like, for instance, the pro-ams, because the young guys are, you know, are paying so well these days and hit it so far. There's been a little bit of a decrease with the club professionals, what we call a vocational member. They haven't stopped participating, but they've, they've sort of pulled back for their participation in a lot of the pro-ams. So as a result, we're getting a, a couple of short fields. So that was one of the big things we've been talking about over the last two days. You know, how we get a vocational member back in and playing. You know, I'd have to say, especially today with the tournament coordinators and the, and the TPC committee, we most probably had about six or seven different pathways mentioned. It was, you know, seriously productive. It was, you know, a lot of fun. So we've now got to sit down and get all the minutes done and get it out to them, you know, when the office reopens on the 3rd of January. So by about the 15th of January, they'll have all got the, the notes that were taken in the meeting. And then what I've asked already of them is once they've had their notes, for them to send back to me the changes that that person would think would be the best. Not what they think is best for Queensland, but best for the game and what they think. And so virtually, you know, we're involving everyone around Australia. And, of course, things are slightly different in Queensland to Western Australia. So, you know, Kim Feltham's a you know, very good operator, I should say. And uh, Brock, of course, is a great operator in Queensland. So it's great when you get those two guys talking about things. And at the end of the day, a lot of the time, I was just taking notes and sitting back and listening because they you know, they're in the field. They, they sort of know what's going on all the time. So it's been very productive. But the big thing is, Roger, you can have as many conversations as you like. Uh, you can listen, they can talk and, and then give you the, the feedback. But from that has to come action, doesn't it? Oh, it does. We're at a sort of, not a crossroads, but we're at a point at the moment where, you know, we want to enlarge my golf, you know, with juniors. We want to do a lot of things. And at the end of the day... <laughs> The people that 
will be helping us the most to do a lot of these things will be the vocational members because, you know, we've got 2,600 of those, you know, around Australia. You know, getting them involved in, in things like the VW Scramble and tournaments like that, getting them back involved in, a, in playing in a few pro-ams and teaching all the juniors, you know, at, at tournament sites or pro-am sites, you know, certain pro-ams over a certain figure. You know, we'll have club professionals sort of teaching the juniors in the area and really have a crack at getting behind and promoting the game of golf, and that's what it's all about. Well, it's about talking the game up, isn't it? I mean, talking it up, but doing things that that raise it as well. That sort of stuff is pretty crucial to get the next generation excited about the game of golf, particularly in Australia. It definitely is, and we've got one fellow on the TPC, Jack Wilson, who's big into social media. I, I sort of know a little bit about social media, but when you talk to him, yeah, and he starts talking about different algorithms and all this sort of thing, you know, I've just got to sit back and listen. Social media is going to be where the PGA, the TPC and the tournament coordinators will need a lot of help and that help will actually come from our younger players at tournaments. It's not that difficult sort of to use them, you know, if they miss a cut, for instance. They've already had to pay for their weekend accommodation and airfares and so on and so forth. So we can sort of start employing them on the social media side over the weekend of tournaments to promote the tournament, promote the other players that are playing and so on and so forth. So, you know, it's going to be one of those situations that we can't really afford to have two or three people, you know, employed on the social media side at the moment. So we use our own resources and that's one thing I'm looking forward to, to see, you know, what comes out of Jack over the next month or so, getting ready for, say, the Victorian Open or the ISPS Hounder Sixers in Perth. It's going to be quite interesting when they go to New Zealand as well, you know, to, to get everything out into the media straight away. Because according to a lot of them, they say you've got about a six-hour gap mm-hmm. and then it goes dead on you. So if you yeah. don't get it out there, you're in trouble. What about hairstyle advice? You're getting, you're getting a bit of social media <laughs> advice from Jack. What about hairstyle advice? Yeah. He looks like I'd a cross that. between Bob Marley and Grizzly Adams, doesn't he? I mean, he's a, he's a classic <laughs> dude. Yeah. Now, for the <laughs> listeners who don't know what we're talking about, just Google, get on your computer and Google Jack Wilson. Not your stereotypical professional golfer from the 70s and 70s. 60s, is he? No, no, it's definitely not short back and side. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, when he hits a golf ball, it looks pretty oh, he good. he can play. He's a good player. Yeah. And, you know, he's, he's good for the game. Yeah. Yes, yep. exactly. You know, you know he's, he's so keen. It's fantastic. You know, in fact, all the guys on the TPC, you know, Jethro, Nev Basic, you know, Matty Giles, I'm just trying to go through them at the moment. I'm, I'm yeah, well, there's, there's some young guys there Jack, already. of course. Yep. They're all so enthusiastic, which is great. One other thing, Roger, that I heard you talking about in an interview was the timing of the uh, the tournaments uh, in Australia, Australian Open, PGA, that sort of thing. And you had some pretty interesting thoughts about whether they should remain uh, where they are at this point in time or whether they should move to a different time of the year, as in, I'm talking specifically about, I think it was you were, you were talking about late January, early February. Can you just talk a bit about that? Yeah, you know, it, it was an idea that uh, both Ian Baker, Finch and myself were talking about and it's sort of grown a little bit of legs over the last month. We're stuck with the dates for next year already, so it would be, you know, 12 months after that in the new uh, three-year forecast and uh, 
we've got to look at trying to get away from tournaments, say, in Japan, and there's five big ones go right through until, like, the 1st of December. You know, it's starting mm-hmm. to get pretty cold up mm-hmm. there. You know, they're through to the 1st of December, or first week, I should say, because of the wraparound tour in America now, and they're finishing three weeks earlier next year. It means there will be a lot more tournaments in September, October, November, and they're not sure when they break in December because they've got the shark shootout and they've got Tiger Woods' tournament and all these have got world ranking points and big prize money. So that time of the year in November, December for Australia is a tough one. But there again, you start talking to a few people and, and February can be tough for us as well. A lot more work's got to go into it, of course. But um, we're just taking in as many sort of suggestions that we can do and uh, just work with that and I'm sure we'll come up with a good plan. There's already talk, Roger, pardon me, that uh, Tiger Woods' Hero World Challenge, which has 18 players in it, but they're probably 15 of the best players in the world in the 18-person field. It's the week before the President's Cup. It's I know. 2009. How bad is that? I mean, they've got... How, what's that flight? And that, so they can't get here till like Tuesday afternoon at best to play President's Cup. I mean, gee, that's, that's well, how no, tough it is to do, isn't it? Tiger has a little bit of power, so his tournament's now finished on the Saturday. Oh, okay. And I believe there's a plane hired for the guys to uh, fly down and be here Sunday night or Monday morning. Okay. But, I mean, the tournament that they're hoping to get some of the international players is the Australian Open because mm. it's the week before the President's Cup. We're two weeks before and we're sort of in negotiations with a few guys at the moment. We're being the Australian um, PGA. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Just go with the flow at the yeah, moment yeah, with yeah. that and deal with the managers. And the biggest thing is that it's a co-sanctioned event, you know, which Tiger's an event is, is a little bit of a co-sanctioned event with the US tour. But ours can be like we're involved in the President's Cup and we co-sanction with the PGA Tour of America. We have to also watch the Hong Kong Open for instance, because we're co-sanctioned with the European Tour. Oh, and Hong Kong Open's a European Tour event. It is, oh, yeah. Gee, there it is. How hard is it? It is. A, that's, a, that's a tough gig, mate, isn't it? It is. You know, there's a lot of juggling. Anyway, but we'll get there. Yeah, but as you say, it's a lot. You've got to take it's the with with scheduling. It's something you've at this point in time. You've got to take a longer term view on, and, and I suppose in a way try and influence events into the and, and scheduling into the future. Forget about next year. That's done and dusted. But beyond that, see if you can influence the way things are done down the track. I mean, we're looking, you know, three year sort of scope. Three-year forecast, three-year scope, five-year forecast and, and scope as well. So you don't sort of think just round the corner. You've got to think a fair way in advance. The only trouble is when you go for your five years is a lot of the big tours, whether it be Japan, Europe or America, have a reasonable idea and we have a good relationship with them. There might be a slight hiccup, but most of them have a reasonable idea of what they're doing. You know, the, yeah. the reason, for instance, that America is finishing three weeks early is they just don't want to come up against college football in America because mm-hmm. yeah, college yeah. football is so strong. The tour knows that, even though the tour is strong, so they've moved, knowing full well that college football can't move. So they've moved because they're already in a wraparound situation. So really for the FedEx Cup to finish in October this year and it finishes in September next year, that's no real big deal to them. They're still going to have their 48 tournaments worldwide and they're, you know, 
they're as busy as ever. What's your view? What's your opinion on the FedEx Cup? The amount of money they play for, who gets who gets a game next year? They've got a new system where oh, I can't even begin to explain it to, to the punters. But there's there's like a handicap system. The better you play through the year, you, you start the first event so many under par before you hit off. It's a it's a bizarre yeah. arrangement. But but the whole FedEx Cup. I mean, it, it disappoints me that there's so much money thrown at so few people. Uh, what, have you got a view on that? It's a hell of a bonus at the end of the year. But the one thing I find hard to believe, if you've got qualifying events, the three events before the the, the final mm. uh, of the Tour Championship, is that... Uh, Randall Chambly, yep. I think he went third win-win. Now, it should be all over, but they rejiggle no, all Z- the points. Xander Showflay, that was. Sorry. Randall, Sham- Randall Chambly's a commentator. It was, it was Xander Showflay. That was the guy. Oh, no, Bryson DeChambeau. I'm sorry, that's no, it. Bryson, Bryson DeChambeau. Yeah, Bryson. That's right, you're yeah, dead right, it. yes. Sorry. That, a lot it. of shambos in there, shamboos and shampoos. And <laughs> 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 well, that situation, you know, the FedEx Cup should have been all over, but they can't have that. You know, they've got mm. to come to the last event. Yep. Now, right near the end, he could have lost. Okay, he didn't win that week, of course. You know, we know Tiger won. Mm. But he could have actually lost. Mm the FedEx Cup, and it was down to two holes on the back nine between himself and Tiger for someone else to win the FedEx Cup because uh, Tiger couldn't. I, well, I don't think it was Tiger. It was someone else. Uh, Justin, Justin, Rose, Justin Rose, that was yeah. the guy. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, the point I'm making is that it's, it's, it's an enormous amount of money being thrown to people that already have an enormous amount of money. And I don't know whether I'm just um, being a bit idealistic and old-fashioned, but can't they do something more with those four weeks of worth, like $40, $50 million or something? Can't they do something else with that? It what? is a hell of a lot. Changing that might be a bit out of your wheelhouse, though, Roger. What do you think? Oh, it's early days. Larry, you've got a member here putting a lot of pressure on you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so get that on the agenda. When you get on the get you know get it on the international agenda, get rid of the FedEx Cup, and uh, golfers aren't allowed to have exotic names. Get back to names like <laughs> Arnold Palmer, <laughs> easy one. Fred Roger Funk, Davis, yeah. Fred Funk, Dickie Pride, <laughs> bring them back. Willie Wood. <laughs> <laughs> no DeChambos, no Xanders, none of nah, that. None, none of that, that stuff. Yeah, let's go. All right. Hey, Roger, listen, yeah. thank you very much for your time, mate. Good luck with the, the future. It sounds like, well, number one, it sounds like you're enjoying the role, which is the main thing. And it, I definitely it, am. Yeah, and, and it sounds like you, you're really um, kicking some goals and you're looking to, to kick even more into the future, and that's great for the game. You know, and if they don't like what I'm doing, they can get rid of me in three years' time. There <laughs> <laughs> you, you go. I'm sure they won't, mate. I'm, you've got a lot of respect. You and Finchie, uh, the head of our team, oh, I reckon it's, it's, the, it's fantastic. And the PGA, every member of the PGA, the vocational in particular, on behalf of Larry Canning, are all behind you, mate. We all love what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for thanks, doing buddy. it. Thanks, Good on you, Rog. Thank thanks, you. thanks, mate. Talk soon. Thanks, thanks Dave. Thanks, thanks mate. Okay, mate. Thanks, Rog. Bye. Travel the world and play golf. Let's go somewhere with Backspin. Thanks to Inside Golf. Jumping on a plane, flying off to play three of the world's best golf courses in one of the most beautiful parts of Australia. Larry, sounds like a bit of a fantasy, doesn't it? It sounds like something I would love to do. It's not a fantasy. It can become your reality, Larry Canning, with Air Adventure (laughs) Australia's Ultimate Tasmanian Golf Tour. Uh, It turns fantasy into reality. It sounds like a fantastic little trip, this one. And to tell us more about Air Adventure Australia's Ultimate Tasmanian Golf Tour is Air Adventure Australia's Managing Director, John Dyer. G'day, John. Hey, guys. How are we today? Yeah, very well, mate. Going very well. Before we talk about this fantastic tour for golfers to Tasmania... 
give us a little bit of the backstory about uh, Air Adventure Australia because uh, it's a fascinating history, the way the company started and the way they developed to what it is today. Yeah, absolutely. So I suppose it was a, yeah, an unconventional uh, beginning into aviation tourism. We um, it started off by my late father, Rod Dyer, back in the, well, as early as the 60s, but formed into Air Adventure in the 70s. Um, back at that stage, he owned a million-acre cattle station up in the Kimberley, also um, our family property out in Western Victoria. And the only way that having a property at each end of the country was a, a feasible option for him was to fly himself between the two. So it was about a 6,000-kilometre commute round trip between the two properties. And they got, it's now known as Ellen Bray, the station up there, but um, when they first got it, it was a million acres of untouched country and uh, they set about forming it into a, a fully-fledged cattle station. So initially you'd fly up, you know, useful people, it'd be plumbers, builders, concreters to um, get up there and help out, you know, establish the station and uh, eventually a group of artists from Melbourne who wanted to paint the Kimberley got wind of what he was doing up there and thought that he'd be a pretty good bloke to take them up there. So he piled them into the plane and flew them up and that was the beginning of Air Adventure Australia way back in 77. Yeah, that doesn't get much more core Aussie than that, does it, John? I mean, a, a company starting from those beginnings is, is a sensational story. So your dad was a pilot? Yeah, dad was a bush pilot. He acquired over 10,000 hours as a, as a bush pilot flying all over the country and with Air Adventure, it was a really good opportunity for him. Kept him flying and also, as mum always said, he ended up with a captive audience of people who had to listen to his story. So um, <laughs> he, he, he loved it, you know, and he, he loved to tell a story, loved um, loved the meal and um, also yeah, enjoyed the company of others and showing off the splendour of Outback Australia. Yeah, sadly your dad passed away about 10 years ago, but he obviously passed that passion and, and love for flying on to you. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, I was born with Avgas flowing through my veins, so always around aircraft and was in the co-pilot seat from when I was still in nappies, so um, it was a, a foregone conclusion that I get my licence and do something in aviation and um, Air Adventure's been a perfect vehicle for that. Obviously there's a lot of different places you fly, but what was the golf gig, John? How did you get into the golf side of it? It would have been in about um, 2008, um, I'm guessing, but um, we had a, a group of um, clients that were outback clients of ours that we'd flown all over remote Australia and they were members of a, a golf club up in Sydney and they said, hey, can you fly us to Barn Boogle? And I said, what's and um, I then did some investigation, had a look on the web and yeah, was blown away. Yeah, got in touch with the owner and got some info on the strip and all the numbers added up. And so we took them on a four-day trip that encompassed Flinders Island and uh, plenty of time at Barn Boogle. And then we even flew them uh, to King Island, which then only had the local nine-hole golf course. But that's grown. What you basically did there has grown into what you're calling the ultimate Tasmanian golf trip. Tell us about it, how it all works, because in terms of flying around to these different places, you're never in the air for that long. You're spending a lot of time on the golf course, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. It's all about minimising your time in transit and maximising your time on course. So the aircraft that we run, they're twin turbine, they're pressurised, they're really comfortable. They're called a Cessna Conquest aircraft. So being pressurised, we can fly really fast and also above most bad weather. So from Essendon Airport in Melbourne, it's only 45 minutes and we're touching down at the private strip at Barn Boogle, which is literally five minutes from the clubhouse. Oh, I didn't realise that. Okay, so Steve and I are the only two Australians, in fact, possibly the only two people in the world who haven't been to Barn Boogle. Well, we're ashamed of it, Stephen, aren't we? We're, we're incredibly ashamed of it. We've been talking about Barnboogle for years and we've never been there. And we've never been to Lost Farm either. But we intend to go there. We'll probably go there with you, John, I think. Well, I think that's probably, it's obviously the best way to do it. And, yeah, I mean, to 
not have played Barn Boogle and, and call yourself a golfer. I'm really um, oh, it's terrible. Absolutely, you, you're bored by that. You're right to be ashamed <laughs> of us, John. I'm, I'm supposed to be a pro, John, and I haven't played there. It is an absolute disgrace, and I will take it. I have to. We have to fix this, don't we, Stephen? Yes, we do. But you fly into Barn Boogle, and then you're uh, you're on the course before you know it. But you stay two nights at, at Lost Farm Lodge, and you also play Lost Farm while you're there. Absolutely, yeah. So the the um the hospitality side of things, you know, that the courses speak for themselves. They're absolute masterpieces down there. But also hospitality side of things at Barn Boogle is is first rate. You know, really comfortable accommodation on course, and then food and wine that just really showcases, you know, that other side to Tasmania. Um, beautiful seafood and, and great pinots and things like that. Yeah, it's always a bit hard to leave Lost Farm, but then on the morning of day three, you you jump back on board the plane, and then it's another brief forty-five minute sector direct to King Island, which is a remote speck in the the middle of the Bass Strait. So highest point above sea level is four hundred and sixty feet. And one of the comments that we regularly get from people is, "This island is basically one giant potential golf course." It looks wild and crazy, like a golf course should look. Particularly when I play it, I'm looking at Cape Wickham and Ocean Journey. The, the courses there where only just sort of finding out about them, John. I know we've known about Barn Burgle and, and uh, Lost Farm for a number of years, but uh, the, the, the Cape Wickham and Ocean Dunes, they look sensational. And, uh, what's the place like? I, I mean, obviously, you, do you stay there? Someone to stay? Is there, a, is there a bar? Is there a club? How, how does it work there? There's all of that. You know, Barn Burgle's definitely what put Tasmanian golf on the map. Now, that, that kind of paved the way for the for the idea of Cape Wickham and Ocean Dunes becoming a reality. The island is till now has been very much focused on primary production. You know, a huge amount of cattle on there, which vastly outweighs the number of people on the island. There's only a population of just over a 1,000 on King Island. And yeah, as I said, primarily focused on primary production with Angus cattle, uh, a bit of dairy. King Island, of course, is globally known for the King Island dairy, uh, for their cheese mm-hmm. that they make there. Yep. Um, and then also the seafood industry with crayfish. So, so great um, food, yeah, great food there too, eh? Well, you know, and that's another element to the whole golfing experience. You are going somewhere. It is, you know, in a lot of senses, it is like going back in time to a simpler time where people still wave to each other on the road as you go past, you know. No one locks anything. So, yeah, it's a really lovely place and, and spectacular. And then that's not even starting to talk about the golf courses, which are, you know, in a league of their own. Oh, We've are. never had anybody walk off Cape Wickham or Ocean Dunes and say, you know what, that wasn't as good as I thought it would be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, John, and the other thing about this adventure, as it is for any golfer, it would be an adventure, the price is incredibly reasonable as well. For what you get, it's really, you know, if you love your golf and, and this is a, a something you've wanted to do, it's great value for money. Yeah, absolutely. It's for four days, four rounds. We, we charge a whisker over $2,000 per person for that. It includes everything except for meals and drinks, basically. So all you need to do is kick back, relax and focus on, you know, not losing too many balls and such an amazing experience for a group of eight mates to, to get involved in something that you'll never forget playing four of the most spectacular and memorable rounds of your life. Things that you never forget, John, while we're on that subject, there was some strange event that happened to you on a golf, one of the courses down there, wasn't there? I just got back, actually, we ran the Rogue Challenge, which we do in conjunction with Callaway, in line with their, their Rogue Driver, so we did a four-day, four-round tournament across Barn Boogle and, and Ocean Dunes, and we had one of our competitors, he came up to me on about the, the last night and said, you know what, I've had my name rubbed off five nearest to pins in the last few days, he said, surely there's a prize for that. 
So we had a bit of a think about that, and um, he was ceremoniously presented with a box of tissues, which he thought was pretty <laughs> apt. <laughs> it's a selfish game, <laughs> golf, isn't it? Isn't it? So you couldn't believe it. So, you know, in the first few groups, you always think you're in with a chance, but yeah, um, yep. it uh, can change rapidly. But no, he thought that was pretty suitable, actually. He was pretty happy with that. John, thank you for your time. If people want more information on your ultimate Tasmanian golf trip, uh, what's the best way to get it? So you can go to golf.airadventure.com.au or email our golf manager, John Perrett, on golf at airadventure.com.au. Terrific, mate. Thank you again for your time. We'll see you on the on the tarmac at Essendon Airport, eh? Look forward to it. <laughs> Good on you, John. Thanks, <laughs> mate. Thanks, John. Good on you. Cheers. See you. Thanks to Inside Golf, this is Backspin with Larry Canning and Steve Anderson. Larry, time for you to uh, talk about a brand new product, and this one is pretty much brand new. It's the uh, the new D7 range from Wilson Staff. You're, as you mentioned earlier on, you're a big Wilson Staff fan. You go way back with them. But um, these new clubs, are, you've got one in front of you while we're, we're recording this. We've got the, the ladies' driver, and you've got a – what iron have you got there? I've got a six iron, Stephen. Six iron. Wilson Staff D7 six iron. Once again, we always talk about the engineering and the, the design that goes into these things. These club companies just don't stop, do they, in, in terms of improvement of the clubs? Did, and Wilson Staff's no, no exception. Just when you think that they've run out of ideas, Steve, they come up with this – and it's called the Power Holes. Now, I'm going to take a photo of this and put it on our Facebook page because it's quite unique. I'm looking at the sole of the six iron here. There are six slices, you'd call them, slots perhaps. I'd go slots. Filled, slots. Yeah. We, when we talk slots, we talk about that speed slot driver that TaylorMade came out with. Okay. So uh, probably so even, the word, even the word slots is probably patented by TaylorMade. So we'll call them slices. Slices. Well, they call them power holes, so maybe we should call them that, Steve. Yeah, okay. But they are six uh, horizontal indentations slices in the in the sole behind yeah. the face of the club. What this does, it makes the face the about the thinnest face on the market, the thinnest metal, which gives you that additional flexion. They call it, which is like the ball springs off it a lot lot quicker. The club is definitely made for someone that needs a bit of distance, someone that needs to get the ball up in the air and hit the ball further, which is pretty well 95% of the people playing the game, really, isn't it? This golf club is definitely designed to help everyone in that category. I think probably the the thing that got my eye was how beautiful they look. Like the back of that golf club is a beautiful looking it's, thing. It's a cavity back club. Oh, definitely, yeah, yes. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a game improvement cavity back, yes. I also made the comment when I picked it up that I felt for a cavity back club, I, I felt it was fairly light, but you disagreed with that. You didn't think it was any lighter than the normal? Well, these are graphite shafts. I think you've okay, got steel shafts shaft. in your club, yep. Steve, so All graphite's right. always going to feel Nothing lighter. Nothing to do with the head. Yeah. The head looks bigger because the sole is so wide. It yep. looks like it's a heavy cloth club, but it's not. Yeah, because it's so shallow and, and and there's all these holes in it, so it doesn't weigh any more than a normal golf club. It just looks to me from the back like a beautifully made golf club. But when you look at the sole, that's when you see the technology. It's, and it's some serious stuff. This is the six iron. Of course, they've got hybrids and, and fairway woods and a driver, all designed with the thin face to make the ball go further. It also sets the what we call the MOI moment of inertia. And when I start talking like this, you start rolling your eyes up and looking the other way, don't you? Do that for the listeners. Yeah, I just there did that. Go. I'm doing it now. What it does, it moves Still the Still doing it. What it does, it stops the golf club from twisting. When you make contact with the ball off-centre, it stops the golf club from twisting as much. So that the stability, it's more stable because the weight is pushed back away from the hitting area. It's back further you know, away from the face. So it was first started in, in putters years and years ago. Right. So did. there's a point in your swing where 
everything, given that you, you know, you swing back and then you're hitting a ball. When you hit that, the initial moment of inertia is when everything stops, right? No. No? No, no, no. Well, that's what I thought the moment of inertia was because after that moment, after it, uh, the initial impact on the ball, it's, it's, you know, it's a millisecond. It's a thousandth mm. of a millisecond, whatever. But then you, keep, you, you continue and that's when the rotation starts. Well, the, so the, this minimises that. After impact, yeah, uh, you, no, I don't think you're right, okay. Steve. No, I think, I'm wrong. I think I think you're right. You, look, you're right in your own way, Steve, and that's yeah. important to you, I know, and your family, yep. family members. But to me, and I, I don't know whether we're saying the same thing. You know, if you hit the ball in the toe, yeah, the, it, it, the toe will push back away from the target, so the face will be open, so the ball will go to the right. Yep. If you hit the ball out of the toe of this club, that rotation of the face will be it's nowhere minimized. near as yeah. much as minimised. Minimised, yeah. yeah. Okay. So it'll go maybe a little right, but not won't miss the green. It'll still go on the green. Yeah. And also, you'll get a fairer strike. You'll get more club head speed off the toe of the club and off the heel of the club for this. This, is, this club is made for people that don't get the ball out of the centre every time. It's a great golf stick. When you say that, is it for, what are we talking? Let, let's talk in terms of, of club players. What are we talking? Someone who is... Probably a high yeah. B grader, do you we, think? We, we a, look a C that. grader? That's how we measure it, Steve, isn't it? It's, it's a funny... Yeah, I, I often, yes, you, you have to put it in, in that handicap category, don't you, to yeah. make, for it to make sense. But I know a guy like Roger Davis, for example, who, who we've spoken to today, I know Roger has used golf clubs like this. It's always been a ping golf club he's used. Ping have always had the bladey type, the mid type, and the big cavity type. Roger has only ever used the big cavity type. And he's one of the best players Australia's ever had. So it suited him. He was a very low, flat ball hitter. The golf club that he was using at the time helped him get the ball up in the air, particularly with his long irons. So it's kind of changed his game. It, it made him more pliable on more different type of golf courses. So he used it. And Wayne Riley's an, an, another a very good player. Australian, mm. Both those guys are Australian Open winners who also only ever used the, the massive cavity golf club. So it's not like we... You have to be a B grader to use this golf club. You can be a scratch mark and use this golf yeah, club. Yeah, I, I understand that, but I, I, what I, I suppose I'm putting it in the, the context for people who are listening who might be, you know, we, we talk about equipment a lot and a lot of people think, yeah, you know, the, where, the level I'm playing at, the sort of things they're talking about may not necessarily apply to me, but with a club, and, and in a lot of cases, that might be true, that the technology that's incorporated into that particularly a club we're talking about, mm -hmm. might not necessarily make a huge amount of difference to their game. But in this case, for someone in that category who might, who might be B grade, C grade, mm. you know, this could make a hell of a difference. Absolutely. For, yeah, for definitely, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and, and I think uh, a club head speed too, Steve, if, if your club head speed's getting a bit slow or was never really high, this golf club will definitely get the ball up in the air and spin it for you, mm. as opposed to a blade-shaped golf club, which will hit the ball a lot flatter. So you've got to be, you've usually got to be quite a stronger hitter to be able to use a blade golf club. This is definitely the other end of that. This is the, this is the cavity end. But when sometimes when I use that word cavity or game improvement, people assume it's this big, ugly-looking bit of metal. Oh, it's beautiful. It's hanging off club. the side. This isn't. This is a beautiful-looking golf club. I don't know the price of this, Steve, but I know Wilson's prices are significantly lower than that of the top-end brands. So if you're looking for a really good game-improvement golf club, get it fitted by your Wilson club fitter. You'll be paying a fair bit less for this golf club than you will be for a really top-end golf club. All right, we're going to get a photo of it on yep. our Facebook page. It's going to be a thing of beauty, this photo. It's going to be Larry and the club. Larry striking a pose and this golf club. Work it, Larry. Work it, work it, strike You'll work it. it and you'll get the golf club to work it. Wilson, staff, D7, folks. Great golf club. Give it a crack. He's only here to help the world play better golf.
So settle back and enjoy this tasty tip from Larry Canning on Backspin. Thanks to Inside Golf. Gee, people always look forward to your tip, Larry. They tell me about it. I just want to help golfers, Stephen. That's, that's my sole role in life. Yep, you're a good man and you've got a good tip this time around. It's about the rules. The, do the rules change that much in golf? Quite dramatically. Yeah. This, this year, this yeah. Year? This yeah. year, for sure. But dramatic changes like the ones this year, not that often, though. No, no definitely not. This is the most extensive change to, to the rules of golf, Steve, I've seen in my life as a golfer. And I've been playing the game for 50 years, 48 years I've been playing, and I've never seen rules so dramatically changed. So why are. is there a reason why? People that make the rules have finally realised, and, and I'm not sure they, they always do, that the game needs more people to play it. It has lost a little bit of its way because it takes so long to play mainly, and it's a bit expensive. So the rules officials have realised that uh, to keep the game where it is in the world, which is it's still, I think, the number one playing game, or is it pretty close to, definitely in it's Australia. Up, it's up there, yeah. Yeah, anyway. To sustain it, they need to change some rules to make it a little bit easier, to make it quicker, particularly. And that's the, the biggest impact the new rules have had is, is to speed up the, the time it takes to play around in golf, which is critical. I'm not going to go through all the, If I go through the whole lot, we'll be here for two hours, Steve, and, and, and the way to do it. But probably the biggest one to speed things up is the lateral hazards, which are now called penalty areas. Now, penalty areas means golf courses like Mount Broughton, where we often play, has a lot of very long grass on the side of the fairways. That is now a penalty area. So that means you don't have to keep hitting off the tee until you hit it on the fairway. In the past, if you hit the ball into the long rough, you know you're going to lose it. You go back to the tee and you hit another one. And you keep doing that till you find till one gets on the fairway. And then you, you know, that can take hours. Yeah. So as soon as you see the ball disappear into this long stuff, the penalty area, you just drop out to the side where it went in for a one-stroke penalty and off you go. And that's a huge one. You can putt with the flag in. So to speed up play, you don't have to have someone holding the flag. You can just putt with it in. And apparently there's been tests done that suggests that you'll make more putts if you leave the flag in than you would if you took it out, which surprised me. Does that surprise you? Um, depending on what oh, the flag's de- made of, I suppose. But yeah. they're, all, they're all very similar these and, days, aren't they? And depending on the distance too, wouldn't that impact on it as well? No, no, not to dis- how, how hard the ball is going. Obviously, if it's going a bit too hard and, and it could hit the back of the hole and jump in the air, it'll hit the flag and go in. But yeah. I thought the flag might... Anyway, that's that's a, that's a byproduct. Um, dropping the ball, Steve, you drop it from your knee height now, not, yeah. not, not from your shoulder. Because when you drop it from your shoulder, it has more impetus. And when it hits the ground, it can roll outside the area. Then you've got to redrop it, then redrop it again, and then you place it. So that takes, you know, five over 10 minutes, you just drop it from your knee high and it'll just land where it's supposed to, it won't roll too far. So, Larry, I'm thinking that the changes, like the ones you've just mentioned, that these would be very popular with golfers around the world. They're not the sort of thing that you can sort of imagine there'd be too many people would have a problem with them. Absolutely not, no. They're all good. All good for the game. Speed the game up, make it a little bit easier. The game's hard enough, isn't it? I mean, for two players it may be not, but for the rest of us that are just hacking our golf balls around 80 or 90 yeah. times, it's too hard, so... You know, let's make it. Let's do what we can to make there'll, it. A there'll bit be easier. a few whingers who write to the uh, oh, definitely the club captain. And, oh, absolutely, yeah, and talk to the pro and say, "Ah, oh, you pros think you know everything." And, yeah. <laughs> you know who who you are, you yeah. people. You I can name. Who. I can name some if you. <laughs> no, don't. They know who they are. <laughs> but they they'd be pretty pretty well received, universally well received. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Five. It, it used to t- used to have five minutes to find your golf ball, Steve. Now it's only three. What about making people aware of the new rules? Is that down? Does that come down to the clubs doing it? Um, I think the players have to take some responsibility with this, Steve. Yeah, the committee will try, the pros will try, and, and educate the the new the, the new rules to a lot of people. But there's a lot of people playing the game. I would say probably seventy five percent of the people that play the game don't didn't know the old rules anyway. Yeah, yeah. But things like dropping from your knee rather than your shoulder height. 
you know, if you're out in comp and someone takes a drop and they drop it from their knee and, and someone says, oh, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you can. Um, Familiarise yourself with the rules. It's going to happen, isn't it? We, we, there's, there's rule books in every pro shop around the, around the country. Yes. You can grab one of driving ranges. You can, they're all handed out for nothing, so you can just grab one. It doesn't take that long to read. No, them. Just, just go online. Go online and just have a, um, you know, go online and see what the, the new rules are. There's a list of them. Familiarise yourself with the new rules. Do they take come advantage. In, come into effect from the new year? January 1. January 1, 2019. All right. Now, there is a rule that you've been throwing around. It's an, well, it's been it's been around before, and you want to bring it back. And this is what you're going to spit about today. Yeah, with all the rules they changed, Steve, and the rules that they've allowed to come into play in terms of equipment, and you've got the golf club, the drivers, you know, the head's as big as my car, the golf ball doesn't side spin, graphite shafts weigh as much as a match. You know, the, the, the ball is being hit so far now, and not just by two players, young amateurs, and even middle-aged amateurs. Is hitting a ball miles out now, and, and but the the long putter is the rule. I'm, I'm really angry that that ha- that wasn't reintroduced with these new rules. The long putter being the the belly putter was the problem. The belly when the belly when guys were winning majors using the belly putter, that's when it, it got the attention of the RNA and the USGA, and they finished up banning it, and it ruined careers all across the world. Golf pros they've worked out a way to try and get around it, but you know that they some of these guys learnt to play with these belly putters. So it's it's it was it was a it was a bad idea to, to bring it in at the start. It, you know, with all the other changes that have made the game easier, I didn't see this as a particular problem. The, when you do the stats on who are the best putters in the world, none of them were ever belly putter users. The broom putter is the one I want brought back in, and the belly putter was the reason the long putter got banned, but the broom is the one you, you put on your chest with your left hand, hold it with your right hand and stroke it with your yeah. right hand and shoulders. It's not so much about the length of the, the putter, is it? It's about anchoring it. Yes, it's exactly to right. To your body. Yeah, yeah, I should, yeah you're mm. dead right. I have been, um, I have said that before and, and been told I'm, I'm saying the wrong, using the wrong analogy of the wrong terms for that, but it's definitely, yeah, anchoring. And as I said, the guys that use the broom putter really aren't great putters. They, they're just the only way they can get around a golf course is by using this putter. Yeah. Otherwise, they can't play. They can't compete. Now, there are some amateur players, Steve, and I know one in particular, a mate of mine at my club at Mount Broughton, he couldn't play at all when they banned the putter. He just goes to the driving range now. Yeah. Because he has a uh, an affliction. I won't go through the details of it, but he physically can't hold a putter still enough. Yeah, to be able to make it work. Whether when he's hitting a full shot, he can do it. Yeah, but when he separates his hands from his body, he just can't putt. He hits the ground behind it, misses the ball, and he, so he can't. He's on the driving range there. He's all all playing tennis. So it was a, a bit of a knee jerk reaction, but one a few years ago, but one that's very easy to fix. Just get rid of it. again. Yeah, at the very least, let amateurs use them. Yeah, because none, as I said, none of them are great putters. They just that's the only way they can play. I will keep pushing this until really nothing will change, will it? Because it's only me. I mean, you know, no one else cares. Do they? I'll just say this, Larry. The longest journey starts with a footstep. Oh, my God. That's such a toss. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, thanks, Steve. It's your campaign. I'm here to help you, all right? Yeah. Oh, Think do, about do, that. Do Ponder that. on that one. No, I, I'm with you. Like, you've got me on board already. Good boy. You had me at hello. <laughs> <laughs> that's about it. That's all we've got time for this time round. Uh, the belly putter, the uh, the uh, the long putter campaign, mm, the, mm. Anchored, the anchored putter. Yeah, yeah. anchor get that. Get it back. Anchor that puppy. For tell God all your friends. People. Get on board, people. Listen to this and get on board and then tell your friends to listen. Mm. Off we go. Off we go. It's a good start. This could be it, Steve. It, it could be the, the start. Right, I'm Something starting to get big. a bit encouraged. I, I thought your, your, your analogy no, was no, no. pretty ordinary, but yeah, no. I'm no, you'll, the more you think about it, the more you'll... Yeah. You want me to say it again? 
Yeah, yeah, no. just remind me. Yeah, no, the longest journey starts with a footstep. Oh, no, it still doesn't sound good. Yeah, no, yeah. it doesn't sound no. good. Let's leave it at that. Thank you, mate. Um, and thank you to uh, our friend out in the control room, uh, Andrew Bunce. Uh, Buncey, as we call him. Buncey, the button pusher. Mm-hmm. Executive he's, director, he calls it, producer, he calls himself. He's been telling us as we record today that he's auditioning for the next Bond movie. Yeah, with that, with that weird laugh, that weird evil laugh he had. That's right, yeah. That was it. Right on cue. Yes, Bond villain. Buncey the Bond villain could be happening. Stay tuned. He could have a a little sidekick as well. It's terrible. It's got me it's got me worried already. I've got I've got goosebumps through. I'm nervous. Thank you, Larry. Thank you, Stephen. This has been Backspin. Thanks to Inside Golf. We will talk with you again very soon. (laughs) 